Hey folks, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever this podcast episode may be finding you. And for those of you in the future, please no spoiler alerts. So today we're going to be talking to Justin Moon, who's a developer on Bitcoin, and we're going to be talking about a variety of topics, specifically uh, his journey and his, you know, now that he is actually educating people and how to learn how to build on Bitcoin, which is pretty interesting. But before we get to the main episode, let's give um, a little thanks to our sponsor. So the first one is eToro. Um, the best way to be smart about trading crypto and Bitcoin is to use the smartest trading platform. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you about eToro. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over a 1 trillion trading volume on the platform per year. And US customers can now trade the most popular uh, crypto and traditional assets with extraordinarily low and transparent fees. And if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, practice building your portfolio, practice your strategies with the eToro virtual trading feature, which allows you to trade and practice strategies with, well, as it sounds like, virtual money. So it's actually money that uh, you can just play around with. And this way you don't actually, if you're gonna be trying out a new trading strategy or a way that you wanna invest, you can actually practice it beforehand. So if it makes money, then you know that uh, that it may, may be uh, worthwhile pursuing further. And if not, then you can learn from your mistakes, but you can learn virtually without your real money being at risk. And best of all, you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders around the world that discuss trading charts and all things in the Bitcoin space. So create an account today at eToro. Go to diginocrypto.com slash eToro. That's diginocrypto.com slash E-T-O-R-O. And just so that we're all on the same page, you know, this is, there's no promises of future returns. Bitcoin and, you know, just any sort of, trading of assets is highly volatile and can change any minute so you need to have your own risk portfolio and a risk management program before you get involved in anything like that um next i would like to ask if you guys could please go over to itunes leave a five star in a written review and go over to supportmypodcast.com where you guys can see the different ways to support the podcast but if you click on the discount link in there you can find discounts on things like trezors and keep key hardware wallets uh mushroom coffee uh as well as artwork and different you know types of bitcoin shirts and related apparel and all that kind of good stuff and that's absolutely free so supportmypodcast.com that's supportmypodcast.com and last of all i'd really like to thank everybody listening you guys make all this possible thank you so much i really do appreciate it and enjoy the show I'd like to welcome Justin Moon, developer, entrepreneur, and educator who runs the Biddle Bootcamp, which teaches you from the ground up how to develop on Bitcoin. Justin, welcome to the show. Great to be here. So uh, I've been listening to quite a few interviews that uh, you've done so far, and you're pretty new actually to Bitcoin. Can you kind of tell me uh, and everyone listening about your journey and how Bitcoin found you? Yeah, so uh, uh, let's see where to start there. Uh, 
I got interested in it in the maniacal bull run like two years ago, uh, just a little bit. Uh, you know, I've been familiar with it for a while. I looked into Ethereum like before it even launched as like an app development platform, not as an investment. So it never occurred to me that I, I should buy the coin. I just thought, oh, this might be an interesting way to write apps because I was a programmer. Uh, tried to write one, didn't make sense. I gave it up. Uh, but I, I was always aware of Bitcoin from that point of view. But I, I, my, my impression was that it was something for people who like, I thought the problem it was solving was uh, when PayPal shuts your account down, right? And I'm like, well, I don't have that problem. I don't do really, I don't do many sketchy things. PayPal is probably not going to shut me down. If they do, I'll look into it. So I just sort of wrote it off for years with that in the back of my head. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, kind of after this bull run, uh, first off, I realized it could go mainstream, which is I always assumed it couldn't. Uh, and the, the reason was just like greed. People were, would try to uh, kind of monetize it or people would try uh, view it as an investment and that could make it uh, grow a lot. And then uh, finally, I, I realized that the problem it was solving was not PayPal shutting your account down. Uh, the problem was... Uh, I mean, I guess there's a few. The, the big one I never that never occurred to me was that uh, our money currently is flawed. Uh, in particular, it's inflates like crazy, uh, and that's just a structural characteristic to, of the way our money is designed. And Bitcoin is designed to not do that. Uh, and so when I kind of realized that that it was it was uh, addressing a fundamental uh, problem with the way our uh, the world global economy is sort of organized, uh, I became a lot more interested and realized there was. Uh, that it was a, uh, solving a bigger problem than what I originally envisioned. Uh, and then I got into this sort of more cypherpunk, you know, reading the Nakamoto Institute and stuff like that. And I realized there was a lot of sort of intellectual firepower behind it. Uh, and it was really an idealistic movement, not some sort of uh, degenerate thing and or th thing for nerds. It was like really uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, give people freedom. And so all those things combined to make me dive in a little over a year ago. And uh, I went in pretty hard. Uh, so I, I immediately took, you know, Jimmy Song's programming blockchain class, went into the first conference I could, you know, like we did a hackathon there. We won the hackathon, which was really cool. Uh, I made a lot of friends. And so I just sort of went deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole. And maybe four or five months after I got started, I uh, announced this Biddle Bootcamp class just to sort of address some of the issues I saw as a programmer getting into Bitcoin. It was just hard to uh, understand how it works and how to work with the protocol, how the protocol works and how to work with the protocol. Uh, just because there's a lot involved. You have to know network networking. You have to know some cryptography. Uh, you know, you're, you're working with, uh, th there's just a number of little, uh, little issues when you, when you sort of approach it. And, uh, and so that was what I was trying to address. I just made it free to begin with, but there was a ton of demand, like a couple hundred people signed up for the first one and still started charging for it. And now it's a business been sustaining me for the last 10 or so months. Uh, and I've been starting to expand sort of beyond it, uh, trying to make my Biddle Bootcamp more and more advanced and uh, make some new offerings that are more uh, aimed at uh, people who are earlier in their journey. So, uh, so, so that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at at the moment. And this may be, I think it's one of the more interesting questions in, in Bitcoin, and that is, um, to you, what is, what is Bitcoin? To me, it's 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 cash. It's money. Uh, it's not like uh, uh, it's sort of all these properties of money at the same time. It's it's really good as a medium of exchange, right? Like uh, I've had people try to take my class. Like there was this Indian kid a while ago. Uh, he tried like every credit card he had. That India India has very uh, is a very different credit card system, and uh, it's it's uh, less developed than in the West. And so every one of the 
uh, some of them were declined. Some of the, his attempts were declined by his bank. Some were declined by Stripe. And so he just couldn't pay. And then all of a sudden, he, and then he tries Bitcoin and it's like, boom, six confirmations. Uh, he just paid me from uh, India uh, and, you know, paid like 50 cents and we had to wait an hour. There's like unbelievable uh, medium of exchange that uh, works in many circumstances that other mediums of exchange do not work. Uh, it's really, really good for, uh, for I mean, like a store of value. The, the, this idea that you have, uh, uh, I mean, it's really hard to wrap your head around digital scarcity, right? It's like you can copy a file on your computer over and over again. And uh, I mean, how many times have we done that? But all of a sudden we have this like thing where I cannot copy my coins as much as I'd like to. Oh my God, my one Bitcoin here. I can't copy it and make two and three. And it's just like such a remarkable achievement. Uh, and this property of like true a true cap on a fungible good, right, is never been seen before. Like, yeah, there's only one Mona Lisa, but but it's not fungible. There are not a lot of them. Uh, but Bitcoin, there's you know trillions and trillions of satoshis, and uh, and uh, uh, they're not going to be more than the cap, which is. It's just like unbelievable. So, so yeah, I just look at it as money, like very simply, it's just money. And, uh, and it's true, like commodity free market money that, uh, just emerged. Right. And, uh, I think emergent phenomena are the really interesting ones, you know, where you don't have, uh, uh, sort of, uh, a designer at the top who's trying to assert their kind of om- omniscience to design how the world should work. No, it's, it's one of these things that, uh, uh, emerges through the uh, interplay of like all humans, uh, and so I think in that sense it's like a very powerful. It's all it's like a movement uh, where you have these people acting uh, independently of their own self interest, and collectively they bring this uh, they bring this thing into being. So it's it's really a interesting phenomena. I think uh, yeah. I, I mean we haven't really seen an asset monetize in thousands of years, like naturally, right? Like gold was the most recent one. So it's really one of those things where you're so grateful to be alive to see this because it's it's not something that happens very often. Uh, and it's been happening for the last 10 years and we're all alive to see it. Your prior to you, know, you, you mentioned that you know, kind of your first um, introduction was the, the bull run. And then you kind of, you know, I, I'm guessing that you heard about like, you know, Ethereum adapts and that kind of is what got you in there. But what. What was uh, your, I guess, kind of political philosophy prior to 2017 when you first became aware of it was was the inherent value of, of Bitcoin and what it represents? Um, did your political philosophy um, kind of draw you towards Bitcoin or has Bitcoin changed that? Uh, it, it's always kind of interesting to hear, you know, everybody's stories because there's a lot of different stories that people have. And, and, uh, it, sometimes it's their, their political philosophy, especially, you know, if you talk to people that kind of got involved in pre, you know, the 2011, 12, 13, uh, timeframe was a lot of political type folks. Mm-hmm. And then 2017 was a little bit different, but I'm just wondering kind of what, what drew you to, to Bitcoin and, and if it's changed your mind on anything. Yeah, well, I should qualify. I mean, I should qualify. I've been aware of it for like five or six years. I mean, I, I have the white paper bookmarked since like 2013. I, I never read it, unfortunately, but like I was aware of it for a long time, uh, but I just never engaged. Uh, I engaged much more deeply with Ethereum because it was more understandable to me uh, as an app development platform. Uh, 
And yeah, I took it seriously when this last bull market came out because it just destroyed my assumptions. Like it, the thing I assumed it was, it was, it was not acting like the thing I assumed it was. Uh, so I had to dive in a little more deeply. My view on politics has always been, I find it like disgusting and very distasteful. <laughs> so I never participate in politics. I don't vote. Uh, I've just always steered clear. And uh, in my generation, you know, like people who are coming of age when Obama was around, this is an unpopular point of view. So I really never had a, uh, not a point of view, but a inclination. It's, it's not really what my peers were doing. So I always just sort of steered clear of politics. Uh, and I didn't really know why. Uh, and I think Bitcoin's helped me understand why I never liked it to begin with. You know, it's really like a violence game. You know, uh, you have this apparatus of the state which monopolizes uh, violence and uh, and you get these really uh, uh, it, it becomes like a bare knuckle fight for who can, uh, you know, claim that uh, weapon and use it to their own benefit. Uh, so that's, I think that's what I always found distasteful about it. Like I, I always was not impressed by the politicians. They seemed like, uh, really sketchy characters. Uh, but I didn't know why. And Bitcoin's kind of helped me, uh, have a new view of politics and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, in a sense, like I sort of view Bitcoin as the only like political thing I've ever done. Like I, I, I view it as a sort of a, uh, I mean, it is, it is, it is, uh, uh, this is a tough uh, how to exactly say this, but it, it, it is like sort of a political movement in the sense where it's 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 explicitly trying to remove one of the fundamental uh, sort of like motive forces of the modern state, which is the money printer. Right. Like, I, I really don't think you can uh, like some people don't like to talk about like like liberals or uh, progressives in particular don't like to admit that. But it's like very clearly that's what it's designed to do. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, and Satoshi has some sort of, uh, quotes about this. Like I saw one recently, you know, it's very appealing from the libertarian point of view is one of his quotes. And, and so it's, it's like very clearly, uh, that like, that's what it, what, what it is. And so, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I think it is sort of, you know, the way I, I, I view my involvement in Bitcoin is somewhat like activism where like based on purely self-interest, I probably wouldn't, I'd probably just go work at a high paying job and just stack sats. But I, I think it's such an important movement that I sort of, uh, engage in a little bit of activism and try to, you know, contribute to the movement rather than just personally benefiting from it. No, absolutely. I, I, uh, I, I completely agree that, um, that Bitcoin, uh, is itself a, you know, just, just by participating in the network is a, is a political act in, in a way, um, and just, you know, by supporting it as well, because what it, 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 you know, it is difficult, like you said, you know, it's hard to kind of quantify it, but Bitcoin is not necessarily, you know, it's not overtly political in that it's not, um, it's not overtly political in, in its kind of the, on, on the face of it, but just the, what it's, what its actions are and, and, and kind of the ripple effects are, are extremely political and, and philosophical as well. In, in a lot of ways, but yeah, it, it is, um, you know, uh, I, I think, um, uh, I, I know the kind of sentiment that you're, you're talking about with, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, younger people just not interested in, in participating in kind of the traditional political, 
systems that our parents and grandparents grew up with, which was attending rallies. And, you know, it's not to say that there aren't a lot of, you know, people of, of, you know, I'd say probably, you know, the 40 or 30 and under that, that don't do that. But I think it's becoming less and less um, popular and things that um, are more of, you know, action um, that actions that you could take are, are becoming more and more popular with kind of actual political activity. And I think Bitcoin is, is, is one of them. And I, I don't mean, know. I kind of disagree. I kind of disagree okay. with that. Like uh, I think it's becoming more and more popular. Like just people love getting out and like, there's so many like rallies and marches now. Like, there wasn't a march for the first hundred years of American history. And now they're like marches all the time, like inspired by being pissed off about the president's tweets. Like there's so much, I think there's just way, I think it's just because like my generation, my point is they're becoming like overwhelmed. They're, they're just becoming like dedicated to this idea of, of like partisan political action uh, and just obsessed with the president. Like, and so that's, that's what I always felt uncomfortable with is like, you know, that's kind of how my, you know, my peers were very engaged in the 2008 election, 2012 election, the last one. And I was like, what, man, this is, that doesn't seem important. Uh, but I, I, I agree that, that I don't think that's a way to actually make an impact. Like, I think these people who uh, engage at that level have zero impact. They're not changing anything. They're pawns. Uh, no, absolutely. I, yeah, they are uh, being used by individuals who decide to uh, tweak the antennas in a way where it picks up a signal that they'll, that they'll respond to. Uh, but in the end, it's not in their best interest. And, and one one other thing oh. I was going to say that I just want to start to interrupt, but I want to say before I forget is that, uh, so like, I, I like, I, I think I, uh, I mean, myself and many other people, I think in Bitcoin didn't like, weren't political beforehand and, uh, sort of maybe that part of them or they, they found a way to, uh, engage with, through, through Bitcoin. Uh, and I think in a similar way, a sense to like people's obsession with, uh, like politics is on the other side is like capitalism and trade. Right. So I always was more, uh, Pulled, pulled to, you know, business capitalism, trade and everything. But I always found that slightly distasteful as well. Uh, like many, like many of my peers, you know, many of my peers are just like hate capitalism and want to uh, escape from it. Uh, they, they think it's like the, it's evil. And I think Bitcoin helped me realize that it's not like the, so the things that I didn't like about uh, business as I saw it practice was not uh, trade as such. It was the kind of crony system that the state that that uh, capitalists in the past have erected around trade uh, in order to protect themselves, uh, and uh, and that's that's the the thing about capitalism as it's practiced today that I think myself and many people find uh, repulsive, and so uh, that's another thing that I think Bitcoin can really help with is uh, if you if you have a medium of exchange that is eventually very difficult to censor and uh very difficult to track if it becomes private and uh and remains censorship resistant uh i think that's going to really improve uh the and, and also makes you know makes it harder for the government to fund itself with all these ridiculous uh, uh regulatory capture regi regimes that uh uh characterize it uh, i think that can help bring us back to like Real, true laissez-faire capitalism, which is sort of what spawned the industrial revolution, why why the West is rich, you know, uh, 
uh, all the kind of the great things about the world as it is, I think we can sort of uh, hopefully rediscover that uh, engine of prosperity. Uh, hopefully Bitcoin can help us kind of return in that direction rather go rather than, you know, continue on our current course of more and more uh, basically government mediated trade, which is just destroys wealth because all these all these exchanges that individuals would want to do uh, are prevented by, all, you know, uh, you know, volumes and volumes of obscure laws that uh, some lobbyists got passed 30 years ago. No, absolutely. I think that there's there's a major disconnect between uh, it's w- one of the reasons that I don't like to use the term capitalism and as far as for what I support, because if you look at the definitions, I mean, crony capitalism actually meets the definitions of capitalism. And I, I, that's why I prefer the term free market. Um, but then that becomes like kind of like a quibbling thing. And then you start to fall into the, the same issue of, you know, like real socialism has never been tried. Um, but but. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of people equate the the the, the crony, um, just just uh, corrupt system, uh, or system that has become corrupted that we live in today as kind of what is advocated as free markets. And and I agree, as you said, that Bitcoin is uh, a a system that is that is purely a free market. There there's no um, middlemen. There's no yeah, there, there, there's no stopping of of trade in between of of transferring value from one individual to another, and I think that you know for a lot of people that's that's kind of why they they were attracted to it, and in the first place, and it's really interesting for me to hear that that you kind of were not political, and you know correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing that it was more of. Um, uh, the the realization that that what you thought was not possible prior to was actually possible kind of is what what brought you in into Bitcoin and that realization that people are actually valuing valuing something um, and as as money as 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 digital cash that you thought was just kind of a, a niche side project. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> I just never really understood the role that. Uh... I, th- I don't think anybody understands the role that cash plays. Like uh, they, they just assume it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's like, you know, if you, if you get, if you get some disease then all of a sudden you realize you have a liver and what it's supposed to do. Right. Uh, you know, but until you have the disease, you're like completely unaware of your liver and until you get the liver disease, right. For the uh, crappy example. And so like money's the same way. It's like, you don't uh, you don't realize what a fundamental technology money is to uh, civilization until uh, you know it starts to go horribly wrong. And, and even then, you know, you look at any, any one of the you can practically look at any graph of economic activity and you know, like chart it from 1950, and it's like, wow, something really bad happened in, ni- in early 1970s, right? And it's 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 true on like every one of these graphs, like, you know, inequality, like uh, kind of income inequality, like national debt, a lot of these things. It's like there's like a weird thing happened in the early 70s and uh, obviously went off the gold standard. Money became like this, like, uh, you know, subjective thing you could create more of instead of something that was like uh, hard and had to be in a sense earned by really producing it. Right. Uh, Like production of money no longer. It just was like automatic. It was a button. And, uh, and I still think that most, I mean, the mainstream economics pr- profession does not, 
I don't, I think they're just completely blind to how important money is and, uh, uh, its role in an economy. And, uh, yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's the, been the motivating thing here is like, wow, if we, if we fix I mean, that's the Bitcoin fixes this meme, right? It's like under, underneath everything is money. And if you have bad money, you're just going to have disease everywhere. Uh, but if you don't, if you, if you do have good money, uh, then all of a sudden you get healthier, you know? Uh, and that's sort of the, the thing that keeps me, that's, that's the reason I can't really work on anything else, unfortunately. So yeah, t- tell us uh, about the, the Biddle Bootcamp and, you know, what does it offer? Uh, who can sign up and, and learn kind of the prereqs? Um, or, or are there any kind of prerequisites that people should kind of know before they jump in? Yeah, the idea with Biddle Bootcamp is that you should be kind of an intermediate programmer beforehand. I try to keep the actual code part of it as simple as possible. The idea is like Bitcoin is complex, complex ideas. The protocol is complicated, the different moving parts like mining, uh, transactions like signatures, cryptography, uh, network protocol, all these things. There, there's there's so many moving parts. In order to kind of hold it all into your head, uh, help the student hold it all in their head and you know see the big picture, I try to keep the code part of it as simple as I can. Uh, so like focus on the ideas, not on like writing really fancy, performant, beautiful code. So uh, that's the idea is if you have sort of, if you've done like a be, you know maybe a beginning and maybe an intermediate Python course, uh, Python is a popular programming language. Then you're ready for Biddle Bootcamp. And if you DM me on Twitter, just search Justin Moon. I'll happily point you to some uh, some good resources. And I, I, you know, noticing that there were a lot of hodlers interested in in enrolling in my class, I, I also created this thing called Mooniversity. It's on Mooniversity.io. Uh, it's a, a kind of a learn to code class focused on Bitcoin. Uh, so all the examples involve Bitcoin. So one interesting example is that we're when you learn when we're learning how to do loops, right? And, uh, Computer, computer program, one of the reasons why it can be so powerful is you can just say, you know, computer program, do this a billion times and it will be able to do it a billion times. And no human can do that. Or you can give it a condition, right? Uh, like for every block in the blockchain, right? Do something. And it will go through every block in the blockchain and, blockchain and do something. Uh, so that's the idea of a loop. And so when we're learning loops, uh, uh, one of the things we do is we try to like uh, sort of graph out Bitcoin's monetary policy, right? Well, the question is, well, how many halvenings will there be? And so we write a little computer program that will, you know, uh, takes the two rules of the monetary, the, the three rules of the monetary policy, right? There's 100 million Satoshis per coin. There's 21 million coins. And the rule is every, what is it, 510,000 blocks? Every, no, 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 that's not right. It's like 100 and, or 210,000 blocks or so. Uh, every four years, the uh, rate of new coins issued uh is cut in half and that starts at 50. So it's like a couple little variables, kind of like a high school level math problem. Uh, we are a little computer program that can you do a loop and just, you know, just divides the monetary policy until it reaches just one Satoshi issued per block. And then I think it's like 33 or 34 happenings. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's like in learning about how a loop works, it's like you get this really interesting perspective on the Bitcoin monetary policy. And everyone who goes through it is like, damn, this monetary policy is really front loaded, right? We're at 85% issued after 10 years. Uh, so I think it, it gives you a sense that, uh, you know, uh, that, yeah, that, that we're, we're kind of late in the game in, in Bitcoin's monetary policy. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people don't quite realize that that many coins have been issued and there are so few left to be issued. Uh, so like this is an example, this is a try, thing I try to do is uh, frame the examples uh, in a way that 
makes sort of like leverage people's interest in Bitcoin to red pill them on programming. Because I think programming is a very useful skill in the modern world. It gives you independence because uh, you can have a remote job from anywhere as a programmer. Uh, it pays well. Uh, it's easy to get a job. So it's, it's like you always have this call option in your back pocket where you can just, or like a, you know, get out of jail free card where you can just go and make like $100,000 a year as a programmer. So if you get into, it just allows you to be more risk taking. If you can just go and play this card, if you get into trouble, I think it's always good to have sort of like a card like that in your back pocket. It, it, it gives you sovereignty and uh, more kind of sort of personal strength. So uh, this is, this is sort of uh, why I promote it a lot. And uh, so, yeah, after you take the Moon University, you might want to practice a little bit more, but then you're probably ready for Biddle Bootcamp. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of kind of a lot of stuff. And, and let me just go over some of the stuff we learned there. Uh, so, like, there's sort of four parts to Biddle Bootcamp. The first part is uh, uh, learning how the protocol works. So we write like a little uh, program that uh, implements all the main ideas in Bitcoin. So uh, it has like transactions. Uh, it has uh, mining. It has uh, consensus, right? So you can have multiple chains that are competing, uh, hashing, and you know the every every node will uh, follow the best chain. And this is actually really hard to implement. You have to say, well, what do I do when I get a new better chain? You got to like go walk backwards in time, find the shared block that they both have, and then go walk forwards on the better chain. Uh, and you know, there's there's all these little things you 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 know. Uh, as we're sort of building this little uh, program, uh, you're, you're, you're able to sort of hold all of Bitcoin in your head at once, which is, I think, a great experience uh, and something that defies many people who study Bitcoin. It's like, just as you have a good sense of mining, then like you totally forget what the cryptography is. And so in this little sort of uh, simulation, you're, you're sort of able to hold a lot of it in your head at once. Uh, and we start with like a really simple joke coin. It's called PNG coin. Every coin's a photograph. So it's like a, it's a total joke. Uh, and we just iteratively add Bitcoin features until it's kind of the real thing. Uh, so that's the first part. And the second part, we work with the network protocol, how the, all the different, you know, 10 or hundred thousand nodes on the network, you know, they send these little messages back and forth to each other to help people do initial block download, to broadcast transactions, to, uh, uh propagate new blocks, uh, to serve the, light clients like SPV or Neutrino, all these little messages that uh, are involved in the operation of the Bitcoin network. We learned to kind of send and receive them uh, when they're useful, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, and this it kind of gives a nice insight into how the internet works because we're you're, you know, with Bitcoin, you're working with the raw TCP protocol. This is like the protocol that is underneath HTTP that you use to uh, access websites and stuff. So you, you really learn how you know, the websites you used are sort of uh, uh, loaded over the internet, uh, which is, I think, very interesting. And lastly, we build, a, we build like six or seven little wallets that are progressively uh, more, comp- more complicated and explore different ways to access the blockchain and to compose and sign transactions, culminating with a hardware wallet uh, that, uh, you know, you, you can sort of have a, a Bitcoin core node that can comp- comp- uh, prepare a transaction, uh, send it over to the hardware wallet, uh, the hardware wallet will sign it, send it back over your USB wire. So it's really it's really fun. And we're able to write this in the simple programming language of Python, which is really great. So after that, you have a much better understanding of how your hardware wallet works, you know, uh, what checks it should be using and some of the shortcomings of products on the market. You know, you, after sort of going through this exercise, our, our wallet's far from perfect, but you can, can kind of go use a ledger or something and be like, oh, you know, this is, <laughs> there are places that, that the ledger 
uh, make some questionable assumptions or like, uh, for example, Trezor, when it's uh, displaying change addresses, it, it, I think it, it just uh, basically the, the host machine will send over kind of a template saying this is change and the, the Trezor just kind of trusts it. And uh, so there's a bunch of these little uh, nuances involved in using hardware wallets. So you have a better understanding of once you uh, attempt to build a simple one yourself. So that's the kind of the Biddle Bootcamp program. And uh, it's been pretty good. We have like 150 people go through it so far. So they're starting to get jobs out in the ecosystem, uh, contributing to a lot of projects. So it's it's been a fun ride so far. In your opinion, what is lacking in kind of the development space in Bitcoin right now? Is it just bodies? Is it um, just a, a, you know, a larger swath of people for, for kind of differing opinions? Or, or you know, what, what do you think we just... I mean, I've heard in, in um, other interviews with other developers that they just say, you know, we need more people. Um, but uh, I was just wondering what your take on that was. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think the biggest thing is it depends uh, from what perspective you're viewing it. Like, as just a pure free market phenomena. I think you probably have the right number of Bitcoin developers and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, it's like there's not a lot of uh, profit opportunity at the moment, uh, given the current market size for sort of like uh, forming new Bitcoin ventures, right? Like I think at the, given the current market size, we probably have enough developers, uh, but like I am a huge bull. So I, I think it's going to change the world. So of course, like if I sort of put, put on my projection of what we need to get where I think we'll be in 20 years, it's like, okay, we need like 500 times more, like a thousand times more developers of every, of every type. And, uh, so it's sort of important, you know, from which perspective are you viewing, viewing this question? Uh, like, uh, so I think the, you know, uh, yeah. So uh, in terms of like, you know, to really moon, yeah, we, we need we need a lot more uh, people. I think uh, I think the biggest one, I, I think we just need like better interfaces, uh, more usable products, more like interface designers and like, just like nice usable products for normies because we got, you know, most of the history of Bitcoin has been, you know, people who are programmers using it uh, and the people who aren't are using it very poorly, right? They're, if they keep their coins, there's probably some luck involved, right? They don't really know what they're doing. They just know this is so important that they're willing to take risks to participate uh, or maybe they don't even know they're taking risks. And so I think that's a big thing we need is, you know, uh, we need some of these people who aren't like the uh, sort of the hackers that uh, got Bitcoin off the ground that are, you know, uh, can make it usable for the masses. And I think that's something that Square is trying to bring to the table with their Square Crypto initiative. So I really look forward to that. I think I think just more usable products is the, is the really big thing we need. Uh, and uh, on, the other, on the other side, we do, we, we do probably want a lot more protocol developers, the people actually working on Bitcoin Core, the, the, the protocol itself, uh, you know, having like this uh, chain split, or uh, sorry, this inflation bug was it a year ago. Uh, it was like pretty alarming. Uh, it wasn't exploited, but that's very alarming. And uh, I don't know, every, anytime you, you try it, like I've been recently re- uh, building a multi-sig UI that connects directly to Bitcoin Core. And as you do, there's like all these, you know, it just it's just clear that that piece of software has so much, uh, it could grow in so many ways. Uh, it's still, you have to, it's still like a very low, low level, annoying process to work with like the Bitcoin script language. So something like Miniscript is something Peter Wulda just made to make this easier. So there's all these innovations at that, that lower level uh, to make it more, make the programming experience more like making a website than like writing an operating system. Uh, so you want it, 
you know, sort of like make it so uh, the you don't have to dig as deep to accomplish something interesting. And okay, so this is perfect because that was, um, you know, one of the things I've I've been I've mentioned a few times on different episodes is uh, over the last few years is that you know Bitcoin. I think that, and this isn't meant to be like disrespectful or anything. I think that there's a kind of it's very engineer heavy. Um, totally, totally. In, in the overall thought process, yeah, in the overall thought process in the space, and you know, there's that dance. Um, I'm sure you're aware of it in the aesthetics, kind of UX UI, and then the back end development, and I think there's an issue sometimes with, I mean, I, I know engineers not um, in, in the traditional uh, side, you know, uh, civil, and a lot of times they don't understand kind of the, you know, the, I guess, consumer trends um, and kind of the, the wants of the public, the simplicity that the average Joe wants in, in a lot of these things. And I think uh, for something like, you know, like, uh, I don't want to use this, but uh, wasabi, which I use and I like a lot, but it's, it's not very newbie friendly at all. Sure. Um, yeah. It's, it's clearly built by engineers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And which it, is why know, it works. Like Wasabi actually works, right? If there weren't killer engineers involved, it wouldn't work. But uh, you can sort of tell that it was that the interface was created by engineers. Uh, and that's this is true across the ecosystem, I think. Yeah, and I interviewed Adam, and it, you know, it, it's you know, I I, I like it. it. It it works. It works fine. Like you know, I I just watch like a YouTube you know tutorial. And like okay, now I get it, right? But it's whereas like if you go to like the Amazon app, um, and you know like Wasabi or or you know any kind of Bitcoin app, like there, there's they want you to use Bitcoin, make it easy to either buy, sell, or trade or whatever it may be, or hold and and send. It depends on what we're talking about. Um, Amazon, they want you to buy things and their app is very easy. They make it very simple for you to, uh, find the things that you want, add it to the cart, click, click, and it's going to be, you know, on, on its way to your house. So in, uh, from your experience and, and, uh, in your opinion, how do we bridge this gap of the kind of the technical engineers and kind of the, the EQ, um, you know, the, the emotional, intelligent kind of, um, uh, I guess, kind of more front end. How do we how do we bridge that gap to kind of make it so that um, the average person on the street and I'm not talking about the 60 year olds, because by the time that, you know, Bitcoin comes around, it's going to be kind of past their time. But when we're talking about the people who are 30 now, when they're in, in, in 10 years, when they're 40 and they're kind of used to these certain kind of very easy apps. How do we bridge this gap to to make it very easily accessible to use? Because once it's easy to use, it's a lot easier to convince people to to actually, you know, use it. Yeah. So from my own experience, uh, getting to the point where you have to, to 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 build like a technically usable machine of like a you know like code as a machine kind of, uh, you 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 just in order to get it to work, you have to like focus on the nuts and bolts so much that you lose empathy with the person who will use it. And you have to basically because uh, the technical problems get difficult, and you can't. Uh, you, you just have to start looking at things very literally, ma- making sure they actually work, uh, making sure there aren't errors when there shouldn't be, this sort of thing. Uh, and so, I mean, the, the the answer with this in like every sort of a software development context is you get specialization and you, you get people who focus on, you know, various parts of the machine 
and uh, and then somebody who focuses on the, the 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 sort of the face of the machine, right? How people interact with it. And yeah, I mean, uh, in order to build teams this size, you need like viable business models. And uh, outside of the exchange space and maybe hardware wallets, these business models don't exist in Bitcoin uh, largely. Uh, at least they haven't yet. You know, there aren't many profitable companies, and there's a lot of companies that uh, have gone, you know, have have lost money. So, uh, you know, like it's very hard to make a wallet company and make money on it, right? Like it's it sort of ends up just being open source groups, and it's just hard to get the necessary, you know, degree of specialization in order to have uh, a great user interface and uh, reliable software. Uh, it's usually someone who's more of a jack of all trades that can do it more or less by themselves. Uh, so that, I mean, I think the answer is you just like, the, you know, the, the, the industry just needs to grow and we need, you, you need more of these business models to open up so you can support larger teams. Uh, and that's sort of the tragedy of Bitcoin in a sense. It's like, well, one of the strong things about Bitcoin is it's just like completely open source, open per- permissionless system. Uh, but that's sort of one of the, tricky things about Bitcoin is, you know, it's open and you can copy it and you can scam people and that's where the money is. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people, uh, do that instead of helping Bitcoin and, or instead of, instead of trying to like build businesses on it. So, uh, so I don't know, I think it's just going to take some time before, you know, some of these easy scams and cheap tricks stop working. Uh, and, you know, people start building like real, real Bitcoin businesses that aren't just, uh, you know, pure on ramps that do Bitcoin as part of it, but, you know, more focus on other things. Uh, I, I just think it's going to take some time to, to, to really have a, an ecosystem of Bitcoin companies. And that's when the user interfaces will get good. So I, I think they'll probably stay shitty for a while uh, just because it's, it's hard to make money doing these things at the, at the current moment. But uh Luckily, I don't. I don't think Bitcoin really needs to have great interfaces in any time in the next five years. Like, it can, you know, uh, just the monetary properties alone make it so compelling that I think I'll, I'll, there's quite a few people who aren't currently exposed financially to it that will realize they ought to. Uh, so that's 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 kind of my point of view. It'll take some time, but I don't think it's strictly speaking necessary. You know, it's it's one of the things I think that um, those of us in this space kind of fall into is that we. We want the uh, the inevitable future, or I shouldn't say inevitable, right? Because it's it's not necessarily nothing's inevitable. But um, what we what we believe, based on the the evidence at hand, uh, to be um, you know Bitcoin's future to be that we you know we want it, we can see it clearly. So we want it you know to to happen uh, quickly, and I, I think that. You know, it, we actually have made a lot of leaps and bounds, and the fact that if you look at it from a, the, the 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 viewpoint of that you mentioned earlier in the in the uh, interview, that this is kind of the the the, the first time we've created a that or a, that a new iteration of money has been created in a very long time, and you know we're only ten years in, and you know there there has been so many leaps and bounds because I remember. Uh, just, you know, back in 2013, you know, using a Bitcoin wallet was, you know, going to Bitcoin.org, downloading the 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 full wallet, downloading the, the full, um, um, uh, you know, history of the blockchain on, on Bitcoin. And, 
while you know it's still when you download it now it's it still looks exact same as it did then it's very um simple i guess it's very uh um 2000s and uh and, and it's in its design but um you know if you look at all the different products that are out there we have made quite a bit of of leaps and bounds in, in that aspect and and uh, i guess th there's a element of patience that needs to be um element of patience that we need to have uh in here and you you are also um doing a hodl boot camp on top of the the biddle boot camp and the hodl boot camp uh, from what i understand is is not really as um as uh, uh technically um uh you don't need to have as many prerequisites or prerequisites technically if you could uh, kind of talk a little or as much as you like uh about uh, what the huddle boot camp is who should uh who should be looking at it what the, they need to know beforehand and uh, what they're going to get out of it yeah so as we were speak talking about like one you know uh you want people to be able to use bitcoin effectively and so there's two ways to do it one you can build better products that are easier to use and alternatively uh, you can teach people to use the imperfect products that exist. So HODL Bootcamp is an attempt at the latter, uh, a, an attempt to teach people who uh, don't feel they know how to effectively use uh, open source Bitcoin wallets built by engineers uh, imperfectly, but they do work. Uh, wallets like Bitcoin Core or Electrum or Wasabi, uh, teach people how to, how to install these things. And installation is tricky because, you know, most of us, when we install software, we just do it sort of blind. And uh, we just hope that we actually installed what we wanted to install. Uh, and many of us end up installing malware as a result because we're not really checking that the code we're running on our computer is actually what we intended to. Uh, and most people don't know how to do that. So I try to focus a little bit on this process making sure that you are actually installing what you want to install because it's, it's very important when we're dealing with Bitcoin. If you install mail, you know, uh, you know, you can go and look at like search Electrum lost coins or something on Google and you find all these threads of people who accidentally installed the wrong thing and it just instantly took all their money. You know, like some of them, you know, stealing like hundred coins at a time. Uh, it's just heartbreaking. Read some of these stories. Uh, and uh, this is just because people did not understand what code they were running uh, which had direct access to their private keys. Uh, and so this is one of the aspects. Another thing is like how to actually use the wallets. Uh, uh, and a lot of that is just practice. So with, with a lot of this, like most people start using Bitcoin with real money and they're sort of learning it as they go, which is extremely dangerous. Uh, you know, you, you want to practice when the stakes are low, make your mistakes when they're free. And then, uh, you know, then when it's, uh, and then when it's uh, when the stakes are high, you, you know how to do it. And that's not how most people kind of figure out how to use Bitcoin. Uh, so our approach in this class is that we use Bitcoin's test network, which is predominantly used to help uh, developers test their applications. Uh, so we use that where the coins have no monetary value to help people practice, uh, you know, using wallets. Because uh, there are all kinds of pitfalls and, you know, everyone's got their story about losing some Bitcoins. Uh, I've almost lost... Uh, my first stash of Bitcoins at, at one point. Uh, and many, many people struggle with this. Uh, and so the idea is to practice when the stakes on this test network and uh, you can sort of do some risky maneuvers because you're not going to lose any coins. It's play money. 
Uh, and then for your real coins, you, you kind of know what you're doing. Uh, and so, so that's sort of the approach. And uh, there's a lot of things about using wallets that's unclear, you know, like most of these wallets, you get these seed words and it's like, well, uh, how, how do you know how to make use of these seed words like five years from now? If, if you like hide them away and you successfully don't lose them or have them stolen, how, how can you like uh, turn these seed words into like uh, goods or services five years ago if Bitcoin is there 20 years, 10 years from now, if Bitcoin becomes uh, more highly valued? Uh, this is something that's it's it's worthwhile to practice a little bit, you know, so you can sort of simulate like overnight. We'll pretend we just huddled these for five years uh, and, you know, our wallet file is gone, or, you know, a whole fresh new computer. How can we turn these seed words, uh, you know, get them into a wallet or maybe a, a different wallet than we created them with? And so that's that's one of the things we'll practice is how to like recover wallets. And uh, and there's a lot of other like more privacy concerns. You know, if you have coins from different sources and you don't want to. Uh, you don't want them to mix them, right? So in our class, we have like two classes of coins. We have clean coins and dirty coins. And we just, we try throughout the class not to mix them. And uh, this is sort of tricky. So it's, you know, it involves a lot of like labeling each output. Uh, and then towards the end of the class, we practice using Wasabi to mix the coins, uh, to, to actually send all the dirty coins to Wasabi and have them coin joined. So uh, on the other side, uh, you know, whatever nefarious, you know, maybe we got those from an exchange. Uh, it's no longer clear where, you know, who currently owns that or where they came from uh, after mixing through Wasabi. Uh, and so then we can sort of like use them with our clean coins in, in principle. Uh, and so, so it's, it, you know, going through some of the uh, practicing a little bit with uh, uh, using some of these privacy technologies as well. And, you know, do, do you, doing Wasabi on mainnet is sort of scary. You have to put 0.1 Bitcoin uh, into it in order to even try it. And 0.1 Bitcoin is a lot of, it's a thousand dollars. Like you can't, the minimum you can test it on the main with real Bitcoins is a thousand dollars. So it's unlike, you know, Electrum where you can send it a dollar, Bitcoin Core where you can send it a dollar. In order to try it, you need to put in a thousand dollars. So, uh, you know, this approach of using testnet makes it a lot more appealing. Uh, you can try these risky, fun things. And uh, if you screw up, it's no big deal. Uh, so that's the idea is, uh, you know, practice using these wallets, uh, practice installing them. Uh, and we also do like a multi-sig setup, like practice. We try to set up a multi-sig wallet. Uh, uh, so get, get kind of a sense of what all these different uh, avenues are. Uh, and it's just practice. So, I mean, I was um, being cognizant of time. I know that we're, uh, uh, most people know that listen to this podcast, know that I record most of these in the evening. So I don't want to, I don't want to keep you too, too long, but um, you mentioned earlier and i kind of was thinking that we could end the 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 episode on this was your you mentioned that coding was a form of of self uh, sovereignty and i was wondering if you could kind of this is something that i've been interested in myself of, of starting to actually learn because i am very attracted to that idea of kind of you know for for lack of a better term being able to write your own ticket in a way and i was wondering if you could kind of maybe talk about your experience with coding as a form of self-sovereignty, what's kind of given you and the freedom in, in your life and, um, you know, how that kind of fits in as well with, with the, uh, Mooniversity and, and kind of learning, building on Bitcoin, but just coding in general. Yeah. So my experience with it was, uh, I was in school, uh, hated it, was doing a big study abroad program because I hated it. Just trying to graduate without, you know, uh, being too painful. 
And uh, I just started, uh, so I studied math because I found it interesting. But the problem with studying math is that there's no like saleable skill at the end of the road. You know, you, you're good at like dealing with problems, but you, there's no like specific thing someone can directly plug you into. So you're sort of faced with having to figure that out yourself. And I found that saleable skill in programming. Uh, you know, it's, it's like this, it's an extremely saleable skill, right? You can, you can uh, sell your wares as a programmer all over the world. Uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, almost every com- company in the world hires programmers. So it's, it's like, uh, I think that the number of programmers doubles every five years. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, it's as future proof as you're going to get. Uh, and, uh, I think, uh, it's also very unregulated, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, like not many company countries have like licensing regimes for programmers. Uh, and there's not like seniority. If you're a 15 year old who's good at it, you can make, you know, amazing money, uh, just because you're good at it. And this isn't true of many, probably most occupations, right? Uh, other occupations have like bizarre uh, seniority rules and uh, you have to climb a big ladder and, and programming is just like, are you good at it or not? You know, like, can you do it? And uh, that's, I think that's like sovereignty right there. It's like, uh, if, if you have the skill, uh, you can, uh, you, you can kind of write your own ticket to a degree. Uh, and also, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of business opportunities that are you know, it's hard to think of many businesses uh, that will be created in the future that won't use software in some way. So I think it also lends itself to entrepreneurship, uh, which is another form of sort of uh, self-sovereignty where you, you know, you can, you know, produce an asset that, you know, writes your ticket for you and you don't even have to work anymore. That's sort of the, that's the dream, isn't it? No, absolutely. That's kind of um, been, been what's, what's uh, attracted me to that. And I've been looking into doing uh, myself. I've been talking about doing it for like the last year, but I've been looking into you know coding boot camps and things like that to really kind of delve into it. To kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's very attractive to me to to not have to actually work, uh, not well in that way, but you know, in a in a nine to five traditional uh, mm-hmm. job field, and to be able to. Because my main goal has been since my my uh, first child was born was I want to be able to um, homeschool them and uh, w- especially with coding that you can for the most part uh, kind of create your own schedule in a lot of ways especially if you do things remotely and uh, freelance work uh, from a lot of people that I've talked to that do do that that sort of thing and that's been really a, a driving force uh, for me to kind of really want to get into this yeah i think i think the modern employment is like broadly incompatible with families right you, you, you like it's very hard if you have if you have two like wage earners who are working nine to five uh and having their souls crushed at a uh in a cubicle like you gonna how are you gonna raise it like that's not how humans are meant to raise families uh like shipping your kid off to daycare and all that it's like just sort of incompatible. So doing so, having something that gives you more flexibility to spend more time with your kid or, uh, you know, uh, it's just sort of, uh, you know, you have more freedom. I, th- I think that's a lot better. I don't have a family yet, but when I do, that's, you know, definitely not going to have a desk job at a, at a fortune 500. That's for sure. No, it, it is, uh, definitely not, uh, advisable. Um, I'd, uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of uh, different different goals for where I want to get 
get there and and uh, the way that I want my kids to be raised. So it's just been kind of um, a slog on on trying to do that. But uh, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. And you know, I'd like to thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your day, actually night uh, now, and the the changes in scheduling. I I, I uh, switched us around a couple times. And, um, yeah, I, re- I really appreciate you taking time out. How can uh, people find you um, and how could they get hold of you? The easiest way is just on Twitter. Just search Justin Moon. It's Justin Moon with underscores on both sides. Uh, that's the easiest way. I'm pretty active on there. I respond to practically every direct message. So, uh, yeah, message me. Uh, if you're interested in programming, I'd happy, happily sort of uh, show you some of the uh discuss some of the options because uh, I just want more people to get involved because, you know, I think Bitcoin's going to moon and we need a lot of help getting there. 